Hello and welcome to Null to Zero, a podcast about building a company from nothing. Product, engineering, and interviews with smart folks. We really hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to Null to Zero. I'm Brandon, and I'm very excited to be hanging out with Henry from Status Hero today. Hey, Henry. Hey, Brandon. So to get started, I'm really excited because you've got a wealth of startup experience and other companies, of course, from, I think, small to very, well, very small to very large. And uh, so I just kind of want to get a bit of a sense of sort of what what brought you to entrepreneurship, making companies, building businesses, and like, you know, give us a little bit of the history uh, sure. kind of coming up. Yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm a little older Perfect. maybe than some of your audience. I have an engineering background. I have a degree in mechanical engineering that I got in the mid-90s. And um, out of school, I thought I was going to be a uh, 3D animator. That was my thing. But I was playing in a band at the time, and I wanted to create a web page for my band. And so I started experimenting with HTML, which was actually really tough at the time, (laughs) getting that going and getting a public website going. And then I have a few friends in other bands. And so I I had this, my first entrepreneurial idea, which was to create a, a directory of bands where you could download snippets. And this was in the Boston area. That didn't really work out like I wanted it to. I couldn't get over yeah. some of the technical hurdles, but it did lead me to to sort of pursue uh, web development and web technologies and web application development. And so I ended up moving to New York uh, in the late 90s and working for a well-known branding and design agency called Studio Archetype. And I was one of their first technical hires. So they were well-known for graphic design and branding, um, and they wanted to service their clients on the web. So uh, I was one of the people brought in to, to help do that. And we were all trying to figure it out and, and had some success uh, with some, nice. some big companies and their big clients. And eventually Studio Archetype was bought by Sapient, which is a large management consulting company. It was very technical back then. And so I did the management consulting thing for, for a couple of years there, I decided it wasn't a fit for me. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. And um, decided I wanted to go small again. And so that led to sort of a, a string of consulting work and web application products, a lot of failures, a little bit of success, but um, yeah. just the learning and feeling it out. I ended up with a partner building a CRM tool for small businesses called Bantam Live. And we had some angel funding for that. And it, we got some traction. It was going really, really well. And we were getting nice. ready to go for a, a Series A. And we had an acquisition offer from one of our integration partners at the time, which is an email marketing company called Constant Contact. Very cool. Yeah. And so, so they saw our CRM technology and they wanted to integrate it into their technology stack. And so they bought the company and I ended up opening up their New York office and overseeing... Nice. Uh, a huge team over the course of three years integrating their, integrating our, our Bantam Live tech into their stack. And I learned a lot from that. <laughs> and it led to, um, when, I, when I left there, I started doing web consulting again, and I had uh, my own firm for that. But I was running into a lot of the same problems that I had at Constant Contact, just trying to stay on top of things and uh, understand on my team who was doing what and uh, just... Um, facing all the, the, the challenges that uh, modern teams face with a barrage of notifications and communication and stuff like that. So I ended up building Status Hero and 
very quickly, that became the number one focus for our company, Just and that's all I work on today. Um, so that was five years ago. Status Hero is five years old. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, you uh, passed the two-year cliff or whatever they say it is, so you're, you're definitely making it. Yeah. I, I don't think I was making it after two years. I think oh. at the two-year mark, I was... I was, I could see things coming together. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I thought it would happen a lot quicker than that, but it didn't. And we, I, I plotted on and I think uh, we've had some success. Yeah. No, I mean, I kind of want to get dig in there a bit. So can you give us like the, the high level pitch status hero? <laughs> yeah. So status hero is a work communication tool for teams. Yeah. It collects agile style check-ins from team members and marries that up with project management data and produces reports or produces dashboard style reports. So you can see yep. who's working on what at any given time. And it also produces analytical reports. So you can collect data and filter by, by time periods and relative time periods for things like one-on-ones and retrospective meetings. Cool. That's amazing. So, I mean, in essence, it kind of feels like you get more signal and less noise when you're in these larger organizations. Is that kind of... I mean, that's, that's my layman's. Yeah. So, I mean, so in, in kind of the, the jobs to be done parlance, Yes. Um, you know, managers, we, we like to think that, that the, the customers of status hero, those are the heroes. So the tool is not the hero, the customers are the heroes. Right. So we just yeah, yeah. help you to do that. So jobs to be done parlance, there's four big jobs that teams hire status hero to do. Yeah. And the one is just to have this source of truth for who's working on what. So yeah. There's no team out there that's just using Jira or just using Git or just using Trello or whatever. They're all using all these different tools. And yep. then all the, the notifications for all those tools are being spit out into email and Slack and Microsoft Teams yep. and all this other stuff. So the first job is just who's working on one, a source of truth, the dashboard. You know, I'm Henry, you're Brandon. These are my, my goals for the day. This is what I yep. need help on. That's it. Cool. And these are the 10 Jira activities that I was working on yesterday and here's the zoom meetings I was in and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's a, the first one. The second job is around team communication. So just so that people on teams can communicate to each other effectively and avoid uh, duplicative work and, and gain some efficiency there and help each other out and unblock each other and things like that. So if we're all looking at the same dashboard, we all know what we're working on. And so that fosters, communication and efficiency there with the team. The third job is around software estimation. So okay. Status Hero is a goal-oriented tool. It's not a task-oriented tool. So when you check in and you say, what are my goals for the day? It's usually one or two things yep. and you can't roll it over. So the okay. next day, right. So the next day, I like yeah, you are asked, hey, here's, here's what your goal was for yesterday. Did you hit it or not? And it's a yes or no question. By the way, here's all the 10, you know, get pushes you made. And here's all the Jira activity and all that. But did you hit your goal? And yeah. so because there's not that rollover mechanism, it gets yeah. people very honest with setting their own expectations. And that's really the key in my experience of understanding team estimation and setting timelines for estimation for teams. Because if someone on your team can't estimate their own, work. Yep. So I'm like, yep. you, you as a manager, you're never going to be able to do it. So the first step is to get them doing it. And then when you're looking at everybody hitting their goals, that means you can get a better sense of when projects are going to be done. Because yep. whether you're using Agile or not, the business is always going to want to know when things are going to be done. 
Yeah, right? the forever problem. Exactly. <laughs> right. well, what's the date? And you're like, this is a creative pursuit. I can't really say it definitively, but anyway, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then finally, the the last job is just helping managers be better managers. So, you know, a, a good manager knows that you have to prepare for a one-on-one meeting. You have to prepare for a team retro. You have to prepare for these status meetings. You can't just um, wing it. And Status Hero gives you all those tools. So if I'm preparing for a meeting with you, I can look at all the stuff you've done over the last two weeks since our last meeting, understand where you're blocked. Status Hero also collects optionally uh, mood information. So yeah, yeah, people can indicate their mood or not. So it gives uh, a bunch of signal that the managers can use to help with one-on-one meetings and managing people and being better managers in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, so a few things in there, like one, jobs to be done. I love that framework. I'm such a fan. And this morning by sheer, I guess, whatever, I don't know. I was listening to podcasts and I listened to the 1960 letter that the president of Hewlett Packard sent out where he's talking about jobs to be done back then. Oh, wow. Um, but it was, yeah. It's like, he's like, we, people, he, it was, I mean, in short, the president's letter was like, people don't buy our technology because they think it's cool and faster. They buy it because they need accurate measurements in the labs to build what they're building. Like that's the job right. and our right. job and our tech, like whatever. But I was like, oh man, I hadn't, I didn't realize it was written up back then. And I'm so sad. I only discovered it a while ago. So kind of to the people out here listening, it's like, that is a great method. And I think one, it also helped me understand status here so much better and more deeply. And did you find that by, so there's a question here, don't worry, but did you <laughs> find that by doing uh, that kind of approach to help you with the sales cycle? Cause I've been noticing that when you can say that the job you think it is to your potential customers, it seems to resonate more. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. So it, it's hard to, tools like status here get classified as like bots because it works right. in Slack and, um, you know, the competitor that's literally called Geekbot. Oh, yeah, right. That's true. You know? yeah. So, um, and all of these competitors kind of are positioned around a stand-up replacement. Yes. And I, I, I always found that, one, I didn't think Status Hero was the best fit for that. So some teams use Status Hero instead of a stand-up, but a lot of teams still have their stand-ups and still use yep. Status Hero because what it means is, especially now that everybody's remote, is that when you get on a video call, you're not wasting everybody's time with a bunch of stuff that could be handled by the tool. Yeah, async, yeah. Right? So so that stuff is all async. So when you do use somebody's valuable time on a call, yeah. right, it's meaningful and people don't feel like their time is wasted. And there's nothing more a developer hates than feeling yeah. like their time is wasted. But so to, so to get back to your question, you know, a stand-up replacement is not the job, right? The job right. is th- the four things I outlined. It's like, you know, figuring out who's doing what, being a better manager, yeah. better estimates, fostering yeah. team co- communication. That's what a stand-up meeting is for, right? So those yeah. are the jobs. It has totally helped me in the sales cycle, explaining it like that, and also positioning our competitors against that because I feel like yeah. we're we're addressing the pain directly as opposed to, finding a different way to use an old method. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, super cool. Like I, I, as you were going through just your four jobs, like multiple tools were coming to mind that try to do that type of activity. And it's just so cool that yours in a very succinct way kind of does it. And like, if, and as you just mentioned, the implementation of it is where people live. Like, it seems like it's probably a very frictionless experience for people because it's just, you know, you get the message in Slack, you answer it and that's kind of it, right? Like you didn't really need to like, 
log in for 30 minutes into some web app or whatever, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it actually, it, the software is opinionated in the sense that there are messages that say, hey, what are your goals for the day? One or two sentences. You know, right. you, what'd you do yesterday? Keep it short and simple. Yeah. The, the software prompts you for that. And I do get pushback sometimes from managers. Like, I want to change that messaging. I want somebody to really put in a lot of time. And, and we've done that and experimented with it. And, but yeah. there's a direct correlation between the friction of checking in yeah. and engagement. So reverse correlation, I guess, I should, inverse, I should say, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the more friction there is, the, the less engagement you're going to have. So if you keep it, and, and engagement and participation is how you get the best data, right? If, you don't, yeah. if you're not going to put the data into the system, you're going to get nothing, right? So to get short, brief information is, is much better. And, and as a manager, you can only consume so much, well, yeah, there's the thing, right? right? Like, I don't want a book from everybody every day. That's not going to work. So, yeah. um, you know, just making the job easier for the manager means that, that these things should be frictionless. And and by the way, yeah, it works in Slack, but try to make it super easy. You can respond to just an email if you want. Yeah. There's an SMS prompt if you want to use text, pure texting. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's designed to sort of be platformless mm -hmm. um, and not just be another bot on Slack, for example. Yeah, right. That's so cool. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of presuming a bit, but like, did the, like, where, you know what? No, I'll just ask, where did the concept <laughs> of status here come from? I, I feel like I have an inkling, but. Yeah, so when I was at Constant Contact and I was doing yeah. this large integration, when you do a, a big integration, technical integration at a, at a big company like that, a yeah. mid-sized company, you're touching all of these different functional departments, right? So you have to deal yes. with the ops. At Constant Contact, you're actually dealing with someone who's running servers at a data center. Right. There's product people, there's a graphic design team, there's a marketing team. So all of these things you kind of have to stay on top of. Yep. And in my experience, what happens is this problem is solved with, you know, they throw a tool at it. So email and typically some sort of chat tool, yep. right? But it's super hard to to figure like everything is noise when you're doing a big project like that. And for me, it was impossible. Like I, I had people sitting next to me. I didn't know what they were doing. And I had people who were reporting to me in San Francisco and I didn't know what they're doing. And I was in New York. Course. So, yeah. so my first thought was like, how does this get solved? Cause everybody has this problem and it's getting worse and worse. Cause there's more yep. tools and more no notifications. And I talked to some friends of mine um, who worked at Google and they said, well, we have this thing called snippets. I said, oh, yep. tell me more about that. And it's an automated system that emails people once a week and they reply with what they're working on. I said, oh, cool. I want to do something like that. So I sort of automated, scripted up something like that. And it sort of worked, but it wasn't facilitating inner team communication or anything like that. It was just helping me solve like part of the first job, but none of the other three. So after I left Constant Contact, I was like, well, you know, there's, there's definitely a way to, to, to do this better. And to yep. take the snippets concept and and you know turbocharge it and make it really useful and solve the other three jobs, right? Solve for the other three jobs. That's the genesis of it. Really, was just pain for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, I'll take it. Like that's a great way to start a company, right? Like intimate knowledge of a problem space. You know, it's like, and I don't know. You could ask three friends, and they probably all nodded like a lot aggressively at you when you're like, "Do <laughs> you have this problem?" <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. Mean, I've experienced it so many times, like as an agency, when we go into client builds too, 
they'll suddenly just add us to these emails. Yeah. Cause they're like, you're tech, right? And we're like, yeah. And then suddenly I get 46 century emails within yes, like yeah, an yes. hour. And I'm just like, what yeah. are you doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just uh, talk to you a little later about getting uh, some of the status hero stuff for our agency going. Yeah, sure. Next aside though, you're bootstrapped, right? Yes. That is cool. Can you talk to me a bit about like, was there a decision point for that or was it just, it kind of happened naturally? Like what, what was the rationale? Well, so, you know, because I've had a lot of experience in different companies and different funding environments, when I left Constant Contact, I just... It was a very personal decision at first, but I think it's yep. turned into it to be like a, a very strategic decision. So yep. the personal part of it was when we were acquired by Constant Contact, we were you know, getting ready to go for another round of money and right. it's all consuming. So an acquisition is all consuming yeah. and raising money is all consuming and we are doing both those things. So guess what we weren't working on, which was the products. Yeah. I didn't want to get into a a position like that again, you know? And personally, I was sort of, um, when I left Constant Contact, I was shooting for the the sort of freedom that you could have by not having, you know, being beholden to somebody. And, you know, I'm very lucky, right? Having an exit is an extremely lucky thing. And I got there by being privileged and having a great education and getting opportunities and meeting people and networking and stuff like that. So I wanted to take advantage of, of the luck that I had and go for the next rung of freedom, which is to not have somebody to tell you where to be and when. Yeah. Right. Right? So kind of it's that independence. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to work on things that I wanted to work on and I'm an engineer at heart. So I love working. I work on status here every day. I love it. And I wanted to design the the company around that. I think it. I don't think I. I don't think day one I was like I'm, I'm going to be right. a bootstrapper <laughs> yeah. and I'm never going to raise money and stuff like that. But you know, five years later, I think it's been a, a great decision. A lot of it's because I was in a good position when I started the company. Right. Know, immediately, I had a market because I'm a little older and I had a larger network of yep. people who needed the tool. So getting that first. 15, 20 customers was, um, I wouldn't say it was totally easy, but I could do it. Like I had access to it. I wasn't just starting out. I was, you know, 40. So I I could, I could, I had a bigger network and I could do that. I dig it though. It's, it's not even necessarily age, right? Like you had proven some things. You had done real stuff with real people who respected you. So when you say, Hey, I want to try this. I mean, they're going to pay attention. It wouldn't have mattered if you were 20 and you had done that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Valid point. Yep. Fair. Fair. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to tell you that you're good. <laughs> you had, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. So those first 10 to 15 or whatever, 15, 20 might've been a little bit easier, but like, how did it roll out from there? How did you kind of keep that going? Especially bootstrapped. Yeah. So especially, so, so again, you know, I had some luck, so I had, I wasn't, yeah. I had some money in the bank and I could yeah. afford to, to spend say, you know, 12 months, 12 to 18 months working on this and supplement that with some consulting income and be okay and support my family. So that worked. But after that, I was really able to take advantage of word of mouth. And I would say five years in, I'm just starting to do some real content marketing. Okay. And so so far, all of the success has been referral, really. Um, Some of that's built into the product. So for example, there's a dashboard. The dashboard has a kiosk view. 
Okay. And teams in big open offices like to have these information uh, fireplaces, right? Where they have these yep. monitors yep. and they've got all their metrics on the monitors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one would be a status hero dashboard and it looks pretty nice. And so right. other people would walk by and they'd be like, what's that? Oh, yeah. this is solving this problem for me. I'm like, I want to solve that problem for my team. And so that would happen a lot. So there would be companies where a team of five to 10 people would be on it. And then the next day I'd see trials from seven or eight other teams. So oh, okay, cool. So like growing within the same within board. The within, okay. yes. I'm, I'm thinking when people, cause I've, I've rolled by the Shopify office and they have this, well, Okay, back in the day, Shopify just headquartered in uh, Ottawa at the time, and I grew up there. But anyway, you walk in, they had this big screen where it was pinging every time a new order was made. Uh, yeah, it was the coolest thing. But anytime yeah. anyone come in, everyone would stare at this thing. It was <laughs> like, it, I mean, obviously, I yeah. think it, it outgrew that capability. But yeah, okay, so inner's team. But with the, I guess if someone rolled by and saw the status, they might actually bring it to their company too. Yeah, I think that's there's probably there was probably some yeah. of that. But again, like the pain is everybody's. Got, if you're managing a modern team, you have this pain. So yeah. It's universal. People are, there was a lot of, just a lot of word of mouth around that. And then after a couple of years, I also started to kind of take advantage of the fact that in large tech companies, people only stay there for a couple of years. Right. So yeah. as soon as they go to another company, they're like, I need this. Hey, Henry, remember me from XYZ company? I'm now here and I want to get this going. And so I, I, I got some growth from that. So repeat customers just yeah. from, from job churn. That's <laughs> But that's really cool. Like, I mean, it's not something you necessarily think of going in because you think I need to acquire customers. I'm just going to go do that. But it sounds like, I mean, obviously, if you build a good product, you have demand generation is like, in my opinion, the key to B2B and B2B enterprise sales. And you kind of did it because when they when they left, they're like a customer champion because they show up. Right. Like, I, need, I need this. This that's thing right. literally solved yeah. a real yeah. problem. Yeah. And, and, and I also say, though, with Bantam, you know, I was the technical co-founder and yeah. The business co-founder was really a pro at sales and marketing. So I learned a lot from him. Cool. But back when I was on my own, yeah. I had all of a sudden that's what I'm doing. Right. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. and I'm not, you know, I'm a, I'm a beginner with that. So yeah. I was making a lot of mistakes and trying to figure that out. But eventually I, I was kind of forced to be a better salesperson because yeah. these enterprise deals were coming to fruition as well. I'd like to go in there a bit because our audience we we certainly have quite a few on the engineering, more more de developer focused sides and stuff, but like how was that experience for you? Because a lot of people are like trying to do product-led growth from net zero. And I I hesitate to think that that's the right way to start like day one on a company. It's very hard, um, but it's difficult for them to do sales and marketing because it, it feels like a, you know, extroverts game, I guess is the way I'll put it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm certainly not the, the type of personality that likes to sit and cold call. And yeah, I don't right. think I've ever done that. So I'm yeah. not starting from like, like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I had to sort of, it was it certainly been trial by fire because okay. like I said, like what would happen at these companies is somebody would trial it because of some network connection to me. Yeah. Other people would, other managers in the company would want to take advantage of the tool. And yeah. then once there's sort of a quorum and enough credit cards are being spent on status hero, yeah. You know, it triggers something somewhere in these, these companies. And then I'm getting a call from an IT director and, you know, let's go through our vendor supply process and all that. Right. Okay. So, so that was a, a learning curve for me. I, I mean, I'd been on the other end of it, mm -hmm. so I knew how it worked, but, yeah. you know, selling that to that person was, was new to me. So, and I yeah. had to learn that pretty quickly. Procurement can be a funny fickle creature at large businesses. So did, did it, 
turn into the think case like because if you ever go into a SaaS product right you see this plan for this many users this plan for that many and then enterprise call me like yes. is, is that is, is yes, that you can see thing? that on the on status here right now i mean the only thing i have done is you know i think i anchored the enterprise price just so that mm. what was happening is the other the credit card prices were anchoring the, the enterprise price right and the reality is it costs a lot more to yeah. service an enterprise customer it just cost, yeah. i mean flat out just does. So, um, yeah. so that's going to be, that's going to cost more. So I did anchor it at one point. I said, start, I mean, I think I say starting at or something sure. like that. So yeah. just to have the, to get the conversation going. Oh, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, price psychology is a huge part of our podcast yeah. as well. So yeah. you learned that probably from both sides of the table, but as you went through the experience, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what your largest client is, but like, is it 10,000 seats somewhere? Like, yeah. It's not 10,000 seats, but yeah. you know, it's thousands. So yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Uh, I mean, the, the issue with these kind of these sales cycles, they just take a long time. Right. Okay. And, um, so again, it's sort of an advantage of bootstrapping because, yeah. you know, I think if I had investors and they weren't seeing, and they were seeing, I was spending so much time on a sale and, it, and knowing that it wouldn't come through fruition for, yeah. Six, eight, nine. I've had some take a year. Yep. Um, you know that's that's a hard pill to swallow. But and sometimes it doesn't work either. By the yeah, way, yeah, that too. <laughs> doesn't mean you uh, win. Yeah. yeah. And then the other big challenge is there's so many touch points that yeah. sometimes you're selling and sometimes you're just giving information. So yeah. your your real job in enterprise sales and I don't know, again I'm no pro at this, but it's just this is just based on my experience. Yeah. You. You're just trying to empower your champion within the company to sell your product and get it approved. So give them everything they need, answer their calls whenever. I, I was talking to um, my brother is a big fan of uh, Ben Rook and he built uh, Tulio, I think. It's like a pair programming app. Oh yeah, friend. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about that exact same thing to the point where he's like, all I learned to do was write the template emails for all our customers to just forward to their bosses to yeah. get approval. <laughs> like, and that's what he started doing. And apparently it's been their most successful technique. Yeah. So. I, I, I mean, I have a, a bunch of those templates that I use, oh, cool. you know, there's a proposal template. There's, I think I have like the security profile template. Oh yeah. That makes because, sense. You know, there's yeah. always the questionnaire and everybody yeah. It's all the same questions. Everybody just tweaks it a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess like I, I mean, you're moving some pretty important data around. I would assume. So yeah, you probably get a little bit of that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm moving mission critical data right. around, but enough that I have to dot the i's and, and cross the t's with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I do. Enough. I do. I mean, I pay a premium for for enterprise grade managed hosting. For status yep. hero. So, and then the other thing that I would say would really helped with the sales is just being on it from a support perspective. Okay. So we use intercom. It's been a great tool. I'm not a fan of their pricing, but it's yep. a great tool for us. And so yep. coming into a conversation like, Hey, I'm the founder. Let me help you with this. I mean, it, it really wins people over fast. And especially again, being bootstrapped, if I, if they someone suggests something and it's a great idea and we can make a change quick, we could do it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> and that and that blows people away. They're like, "What? You know? Can you imagine calling it last year and you found something that you wanted to improve in Jira? Yeah, and they changed it in an hour or something. Like you would. Oh man, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've sent so many requests <laughs> <to them laughs> into the ether, but, right? Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> next level. But I, I, you know, anyway, that's yeah, that's so cool, man. Sorry, I'm just floored by this. This is such an exciting thing. I feel like I'm experiencing some of it. So I'm gonna ask the question, like, is this part of the technique of how you hold your own against your competitors? Like, is it that service level? Is it that, you know, speed of replying? Is it just the nature of who you are? Like, what? because there's there are a lot of people, I mean, I'm trying to do this, but not the jobs I don't think they've got nailed, but attempting to do this. Yeah, so I, I don't like trashing competitors because, you know, but I do think, you know, I have an advantage in that me and the people I surround myself with have a lot of experience in software development. Yep. So... There's very little, there aren't a lot of scenarios that my customer is facing as a manager that I have not faced or don't understand. Right. Yep. yep. So that, I think that's a huge advantage. I know that some of my competitors sort of are, are trying the, the transparency marketing route. We're like, hey, this is our journey from zero to oh, X yeah. MRR. Mm-hmm. And to me, that always, that just felt a little off to me, right? Because their marketing is positioned around their journey. It's not really positioned around their customer. And again, it's another competitive advantage, I think, to be bootstrapped because I'm super close to the metal, right? So there's the ultimate goal is a great product for the customer because that's how, the, that's how we'll grow. So it's not about achieving a quota or trying to satisfy a, a stakeholder whose interests aren't necessarily aligned with the customer. Yeah. And that resonates through the idea of the bootstrap side too, right? Like the yeah. I mean, I've seen it happen with certain investors on boards. I, I love the point that you made earlier, but sometimes sales cycles taken a year. I've seen venture-backed businesses where they're like, well, get it down to six months. Yeah. And what happens is they just lose a ton of potential sales because they're like kind of forced this weird. Yeah. Like, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. That's so, oh man. All right. I'm, I'm just getting excited about this now. <laughs> um, un- unfortunately, we're coming up on our time. So okay. I want to ask a few key things that are just important to me. Like you've got, so most of our audience are either net new They've never built anything before. Right. They're, they're pumped. They're either maybe entrepreneurs at a company planning to roll out or they're like, get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some, like we do have a decent amount of actually like multiple time founders. Okay. But generally speaking, what would you like to say that you wish you heard when you started on these journeys for you know a while ago, starting companies? Yeah, I mean, well, I think being a builder and being a manager are two totally separate skill sets. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's the typical sort of uh, promotion ladder where you go from really great developer to manager. And I think it's sort of a weird one because yeah. those skill sets are just so different. So yeah. knowing that out of the gate is, is really important. So managing people, totally different skill than building something. For technical founders, I think it's super important to stay boring. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, when I... You know, I'm a, I'm a technical person and I like experimenting with different technologies and stuff like that. And that was one of the appeals to me of, of doing this. Like, okay, I'm going to build this how I want to build and I'm going to be able to use X, Y, and tool. But the reality is the best way to service the customer is with the most direct A to B tech that you can find. Yeah. yeah. So you might like working with the brand new framework doing X, Y, and Z, but just be boring. Yeah. <laughs> just be boring with your tech stack. And I can't tell you how many times that has really paid off for me, especially when you're getting into uh, an enterprise sales cycle and somebody's looking under the hood and they're not, they're seeing boring stuff that they know works and that they yep. know is secure. And um, making those quick changes I talked about before, that's also enabled by having a super boring tech stack 
that yeah. I don't need to make a, you know, all these dependency upgrades and stuff like that in order to, yeah. to get something done. So. Okay. So, so you're not microservicing like 16 parts of your app. <laughs> no, no, no it's <laughs> funny. Like I've, I've stripped that away over the past five years. I mean, it's gotten oh. boring, more and more boring. So that's, yeah, I, we need to do a whole other episode on that. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Go for it. Right, right. That's amazing. I mean, anything else? We still got a bit of time, like that. You would love to pass on <sighs> any any walk of of the last experiences, maybe even on the sale of a company. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly stressful thing. Yeah, um, and uh, it, the reality is, is, it just doesn't work for so many. People. So yeah. you know, of all that, for every exit and success story, there's tons of failures everywhere. So I would, you know, just set expectations low and, and focus on, on building a great product. Um, because it's super easy to get distracted by the exits. And, you know, the other thing is there's this ton of like, what would what, you say? Entreporn, right? Entrepreneur oh yeah. Porn. <laughs> so true. Right? Right? It's easy to get caught up on Twitter and stuff like that with, with this stuff. But the, the reality is to, success is going to take some just staying off Twitter, yep. nose to the grind zone, answer support requests, yeah. use boring tech, you know. Yeah. That uh, sounds like stay boring again. I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. best thing. I'm going to take take that to heart. Just on that last note, I mean, the one part that I found really funny is because I love where you're going with that. A lot of my friends back when I was earlier in the entrepreneur, we'd all celebrate that someone raised a funding round. Yeah. Now it's it's like everybody doesn't celebrate it. My actual like the people who do real stuff because they're like, no, it's just the opportunity to work on the problem. This isn't the thing to celebrate. This isn't the win. Yes, it's true. Right now, go. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And I would say a, a lot of it. That's the case with acquisitions as well, right? Oh. Like, well, because there's there's very few acquisitions in my experience anyway where it's you know here's this perfectly contained product take it and then founders walk away. Right. Like, right. Yeah. True. You know, on the spectrum of pure aqua hire to pure, you know, products acquirement, like that it's always somewhere in between in my experience anyway. Yeah. So, so again, like the, the company is paying a premium for, for the opportunity that your product and your team represent. So your work is probably not done. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate it, Henry. This has been awesome. So sure. thank you. I definitely want to come back to this. So if we have an excuse, the other thing I'd like to do is run you through a, a product that we're bringing to market sometimes. Awesome. So yeah. I think anyway, the short answer is one, your advice. And two, I could see it integrating really well with status here. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Let's talk about yeah, it. We got to talk shop. Yeah. yeah. So thank you again, though. I really appreciate the time. Yeah.